You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. The Smurf Squad is called in to sedate them. The Smurf Squad is composed of four guards in black riot gear, and they come marching through the corridor, one behind the other, at a slow, intimidating pace. One, two, three, four. The first soldier carries a shield, and the others have various contraptions, shackles, cuffs, clubs, pepper spray, etc. They tell each prisoner individually to stand down. The prisoner does not listen, of course. In fact, at the sight of the Smurf Squad, most everyone goes apeshit. So the Smurfs proceed to enter the cell while the prisoner stands at the back of his cage. First he gets doused with pepper spray, then he is rammed with the shield. All the Smurfs hold him down while he is shackled, and if the prisoner resists, he is met with a series of non-injurious acts, clubs, fists, boot heels, etc. Once the Smurfs have the prisoner sedated, they drag him out by his feet, sometimes face down. It is a most violent display of authority, but completely necessary especially when the prisoners carry on, as they have been today. Oh, if I could only transport myself back to my first show in New York, moments before curtain, February 10th, 2004, a Tuesday. Each model backstage standing at attention, perched in dress. Olya, Anya, Dasha, Kasha, Masha, Vida, Marika, Irina, Katrina, etc. Anya in silk organza. Vida in a lilac taffeta, and Olya, dear Olya, running around topless with sequin pasties. To see this again would give me the most fulfillment. All of my girls did the show for free as a favor to me, though I made sure I paid them in trade after the trunk show. Always return a favor. Ahmed taught me that. When the loan came through from Haji, Ahmed shipped him a case of scotch, black label. My first collection, Transparent Things, was composed of a modest twelve looks, Striped evening dress in black and gray asparagus, ultra-short bloomer skirt in gray silk organza, white-tucked schoolmarm blouse, sequin cocktail dress in seaweed with matching mittens and skullcap, transparent black lace burqa over sparkling g-string and matching pasties, black silk crepe cocktail dress with velvet turban, unstructured pantsuit in floral black lace atop silk blouse, bias-cut dress in black lace with embroidered web overlay, bustier sheath dress in lilac taffeta, white A-line skirt in thick nylon sailcloth, stretchy gabardine skirt dyed seaweed, evening dress double-layered pink organza. I used the faintest splash of color when I could, an occasional pink or yellow atop a controversial black or antiseptic white, because fashion, as Chanel once said, is both caterpillar and butterfly. Alex Gilvery is the founding editor of the website Tottenville Review. He's been named a Norman Mailer Fellow, and his writing has appeared in the Paris Review. His new novel is From the Memoirs of a Non-Enemy Combatant. Thanks for joining me, Alex. Thanks for having me. This is such an interesting novel because it's very easy to read. It just You read it like lightning. It's, it seems very simple, but when you start to think about it and pull it apart, the structure, the, comp, the plot, the storytelling style is very complicated. 
Talk about uh, creating that kind of complicated uh, storytelling style that still reads like uh, somebody talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like books that are that are that are very much like that, where uh, you know, uh, you know, perhaps you don't have to work very hard, but it's you know, it's like somebody speaking, you know, into your ear, whispering into your ear. You know, it's easy to understand and it can be entertaining. Um, yeah, I did set up a sort of a tough, complicated problem for myself was that I had this. I invented this fashion designer, Boy Hernandez, a Filipino man from Manila and uh, who comes to New York City to pursue his dream in fashion. Um, but I, I really wanted to catapult him into the reality of the present day, which was post-9-11 paranoia, America with two wars, and uh, particularly pr uh, prisoners in uh, Guantanamo Bay, uh, some men who we found out were completely innocent. It took me four years to write the novel and, the, and you know every day was navigating those waters like uh, trying to um, you know uh, complicate it, make it less complicated, you know have a balance between the satire and and uh, you know the funny and the, and the pathos. After drafting and you know you, you finally get it right and hopefully you have a good editor at the end. <laughs> now one of the things that I liked about this book is that if you were to tell me Rick Here's a book about the fashion world. I tell you, that, that's not a book I'm going to read or enjoy. Yet you make it really interesting and exciting and accessible to somebody like me. Are you yourself interested in fashion? You know, I, well, I've always liked good clothes. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's as far as my interest uh, <laughs> sort of went. Because you seem, you write like an insider. It feels like you, it feels like this is like you actually have spent a lot of time in the world. Oh yeah, thank you. I mean, that's the that that was the the trick. I mean, I did uh, when I was younger. Um, my girlfriend worked in fashion, and so I did spend a lot of time going to uh, parties with with fashion people and mm -hmm. and um, going to runway shows. And um, but really, I was just I didn't know much about fashion. I was just there as in support. I was an observer. You know, I had no purpose. But you know, I was around that world for a couple of years and. Um, I absorbed a lot, um, but you know when I invented a, a, a fashion designer, you know a character, who, you know I, uh, I really had to teach myself how to write about women's clothes, which I didn't know how to do. So I, uh, I read everything I could that I thought he would read. You know I subscribed to Vogue and W Magazine and all these women's fashion magazines, and um, you know I, I, you know I'd lift here and there, you know, to, and I, I gave myself a, you know, like a fashion education. But, you know, for me, I don't, I don't, I'm like you, I don't have that um, deep interest in women's clothing, really. Um, and so I think channeled through me, I was able to sort of make it really palatable. Um, uh, it's very entertaining. It's, it, you know, we really root for them to succeed. <clears throat> and one of the things I think that you do a really good job at is capturing the post- 9-11 back and forthness uh, of our lives that um, because of the way uh, the story's structured, it's both before and after his incarceration. Um, for those of us who have lived on, on both sides of 9-11, it, it, we can remember before and after very well, and that balance in the novel captures the balance in our lives. Yeah, I mean that's a great uh, that's a great point. I uh, that's I mean that's exactly what I wanted to write about was that I remember uh, you know New York before nine uh, eleven, and then I I, you know, I came of age you know in my twenties uh, you know uh, post nine eleven, and um, I wanted to address that. I wanted to do the back and forth, and remember how this was uh, before, and then now you know. Um, you know, I remember we were always going 
going into that decade was very strange. We were always going to like we were in yellow alert and then orange alert and then we were blue. Then we were back down to yellow. It was ridiculous. You know, you would I would check the I and I was very concerned. I would check the Homeland Security website, you know, a few times a week and see what what stage of alert we were in. And 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 that's the way we've been living, you know. And and I wanted this novel to be very much about the way uh, we've been living. And so you have that. And, and I think, too, one of the things that I really like about this book is its take on memory. <clears throat> it's really a lot about how memory and when we – because we like to think that memory uh, captures our feelings before, but it doesn't. And that's what I think this book really gets at really well. Yeah, you know, when they um, – uh, you know, so the, the novel is this man's memoir, and, and he's tasked by his interrogator to write his version of the story. Um, and, uh, yeah, well – you know, our, our memories are the most unreliable uh, thing we have. Um, and, uh, you know, this is his version of the events. And it, you're very much aware of how um, when somebody tells a story, you know, any, any story, it's a real memoir, you know, nonfiction, a novel, you know, they're, they're leading you into how they, they want to be seen. Or, you know, even myself, like this book, is this is how I want to be, you know, represented as a writer. And so these, these are things that you're always manipulating as, a, as an author. And I wanted to sort of make a, make a comedy out of it and make, you know, you know uh, make people aware of it. And, it. and it tends to work in the novel, I think. Well, I really like uh, this structure because it also uh, gives us, in terms as readers, we have two... Uh, plot drivers. There's the plot right. in the in the past, which is essentially a, a Bildungsroman. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was so interesting because that word came to my mind. And then we hear Boy talk about fashion as, as that. And so talk about uh, fashion as essentially an equivalent of a text, of a kind of text novel. Yeah, you, I, you have... You have, and this is one of the things that attracted me to the story uh, because my own memory memory is very unreliable, and I would I would begin writing. Uh, I knew so little about fashion when I started. I would begin writing about fashion, and uh, I would mix up designers or get their names wrong or get the quotes wrong, and so that was all sort of real. And then as I went back into the book, I was like, you know, this is wrong. This is wrong. You know, you had like five or so. so I just started footnoting. Um, my own manuscript, and out of this grew another character uh, named Gil Johannesson, who's a fashion editor and and who, who um, you know, uh, actually he uses that uh, calls Boy's Collection a, a Bildungsroman. Um, but um, you have these two so stories sort of side by side, um, like you said, it, it's a driving force of the novel, and it was a it was a great way to bring in the darker uh, side of this story, which is. Uh, you know, boys' inevitable detainment in uh, Guantanamo, and um, uh, you know this. The, our our hero is a very naive uh, fashion designer, and uh, the the man, the editor, the man in the margins, footnoting, was able to bring in um, things that he wouldn't know. You, I was able to use real detainees, stories of real detainees, real information, uh, and um, and it it ended up um, you know working really well. Now, when you wrote this, did you write each part separately, or did you write them as we read them? I wrote them as we read them, you know, like really. That yeah. sounds like it must have been hard. You know, it's not because <laughs> it's really? so e it's it's so easy. No, it wasn't that hard because, like I said, I 
I'm uh, I a lot of the the humor was real uh, in 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 like what I didn't know about the world, you know, or my mis misappropriations of certain words, you know. I and also I grew up in a um, my mother's from the Philippines, so I grew up in a, a half Filipino household. So I have all these like Filipinoisms that, um, you know, we we miss all my life. I've misused. Um, you know, uh, it, American expressions because I, I got them from my mom and that was her interpretation. So, so right away, you know, I just started footnoting and I had two characters, you know, and they were like the two sides of myself, you know, and that's just the way I wrote it. Uh, I love that kind of uh, the, what's nice too is the implied characterization of, of Gil mm -hmm. because he doesn't exactly tell the story except for in one brief part, which is very funny. Yeah. Uh, so talk about um, this kind of this notion of implied characterization. Yeah, I, you know, I, I wanted him to, I wanted Gil Johannesson, the, the editor, to just sort of a, a, appear, you know, in, in, in different um, uh, moments in the book. And, uh, you know, I want to, it's funny, we're in the, we're in the, the Hotel Vertigo, you know, and this is uh, where they filmed, uh, you know, Vertigo. I wanted him to be like Hitchcock, like you, you'd see him in like one frame in the background. <laughs> and later on, he had, a, he had a major hand in, you know, sort of constructing the whole piece. And he does come in in the middle of the book with an article about Boy, a, pro, a fashion profile. And then, and then he, he also writes the afterword to the novel, um, uh, or the afterward to Boy's story and, and, and what happens to Boy after this confession is over. Um. Now, uh, I really like the uh, uh, Boy's vo voice in which he tells the story because you, you do a great job of mixing the humor and, as you said, mixing the humor and the pathos. And that's a very difficult uh, job because parts of this book made me really laugh and I was very charmed by the the fashion stories, we really kind of root for him yeah. to, to go. And then, on the other hand, some of the stuff that happens in Guantanamo is dire. So that must have been a, a, a difficult voice for you to manipulate going back and forth. Yeah, you know, it was. Um, but I think all the great uh, satirists, all the great uh, comedic writers um, do that very well. I mean, we st if you know, we still talk about or I at least talk about, I still talk about Lenny Bruce and Woody Allen and these people are my heroes. And they're able to do that thing very well, which is navigate the serious alongside the funny. Um, and and there's, there's, a, there's a rhythm and you just need to know when to pull back, when to be serious and, you know, how to treat certain things. For instance, there's nothing funny about Guantanamo. You know, there's nothing funny about um, the situation there. It's absurd, you know, but it's not laugh out, you know, ha ha funny. Um, and so that's where I needed to learn how to sort of treat my material with respect and decide what I, what I wanted to do and why I was writing about this and, and sort of, uh, you know, navigate it uh, in a very careful way. And then, of course, you know, I'm a novelist, so I, I, don't, have to, um, I don't have to fire off, uh, you know, drafts till I'm completely ready. So I go, you know, I work for, uh, you know, a number of years before anybody gets to read it, you know. Now, one of the things I think that's um, interesting is when we meet Boy, when he arrives in America, he is just a, he's really a super, he's exactly the kind of guy we want in America. Yeah, he is. He's like, uh, you know, he's here to just sort of make it. He's, he's, he is like the American, you know, dream, you know. He, uh, he's here to, you know, in this case, make it in high fashion, 
um, which is sort of which is sort of funny. But yeah, you are rooting for him. I was rooting for him. I love this character, and um, uh, you know, a lot of me is in the character too. Um, the way when he comes to New York City, the way he sees New York City, he's just in. He falls in love with it. You know, I love that opening piece too. It's a very it's a great tribute to New York. It's it's really nicely written and it's terse. You know, this book is does not uh, it. It goes straight to the punch. Yeah. Oh well. Thank you very much. Yeah. No. It. Yeah, I. I love the opening of my own novel too, <laughs> but um. Uh. I think that that's even that's my love letter to New York City. I grew up there, but I grew up on Staten Island, which is uh, you know separated by um, a, a ferry ride. So in a lot of ways, I had to discover the Manhattan and and learn it in the way Boyd does. And and it's very much. What he's experiencing is very much real. Like when I started coming to the city on my own when I was 16, I had to learn everything, the culture. Everything was different. Now, you said you just told me that you can't arrive when you were 16. So I guess that explains one of the things that's fun about this novel is that boy is kind of naive. Mm-hmm. And so we know, recognize right off the bat a lot of problem signs, trouble signs, warning signs with his situation that he doesn't recognize. When he meets a man named... Um, Ahmed uh, Qureshi. Qureshi. Yeah. Uh, We think, well, uh uh-oh, there's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. He never quite gets it. No, he doesn't. He's very. He is very naive. You know, he takes people for you know who they are. Although he he might suspect them. You know. um, You know. This is everything written after Mm 9/11. In my eyes, is a post 9/11 novel. You know, Mm -hmm. because we can't read things the way we did before. Um, that tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. If you put a man named Ahmed Qureshi in a book, <laughs> there are certain connotations to that. Yeah. Like the, it's just the way we, you know, we bring all of that to. And I wanted that to be um, in the book. So you know, even though he meets Ahmed, who eventually becomes his benefactor, um, at, at the same time, Ahmed has certain shady dealings that lead to Boy's imprisonment and and you know, uh, and he's charged with war crimes. Um, but I wanted that very much to be a part of the novel, and um, and actually that I didn't even realize that it does that. That's the way we read it. That we know things that Boyd doesn't uh, until you just brought it up. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was just thinking that in a way that's you make almost the reader a character in the novel. We are really have to we really participate because our heightened perception of what has happened since and everything we know um, really informs. Um, what we read and that makes us uh, participate. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons that it's, this novel is so enjoyable. Yeah, yeah you know, it, it's, I'm glad you bring that up because, uh, you know, my, my favorite reads are the novels where I'm, a, I'm an active participant uh, too. You know, I, I, uh, I, one of my heroes is Mordecai Rickler and I love the, his novel Barney's version, which was also, it was a man's memoir and, and Barney's losing his... Uh, uh, you know, his his mind's going a little bit. He's at the end of his life. He's writing his memoirs, and his you know his young son is is sort of editing it. You know, along the way, and you become an active participant. Same thing with Pale Fire. You know mm-hmm. that uh, uh, by uh, Nabokov. That you you're flipping back and forth. You know things that uh, you know the um, the narrator uh, Charles Kimbo doesn't know, and it's just very it's a very exciting read. The thirst for novelty only increased when I returned to school in Manila that fall. Girls began appearing out of nowhere in a new, more developed light. I'd always known they existed, but not in this capacity. I'd been more concerned with myself and keeping that self entertained and distracted with whatever forms of American media I could lay my hands on. VHS tapes of blockbuster movies like Batman and Superman 
and American comics like, well, Batman and Superman. Not that these pursuits were themselves a waste of time. In retrospect, it's clear comic books were what first introduced me to the proportions of the body. The robust pecs of a man, the hourglass figure of a woman. Although exaggerated, these images sparked an early interest in silhouette and form, and how clothes could be used to allure. I remember I liked the look of a superhero's leather cape, how it was always depicted in a gusty wind, a garment in action. Then there were the tight leotards that both the men and women donned, accentuating Catwoman's nipples and Nightwing's bulge. Much the opposite of the style I would later develop with women's clothing. My hobbies, as I thought of them then, had made me a loner of sorts. Before eighth grade, I'd been much more inclined to sketch cartoonish bodies than hang out with the real ones after school. One of the things that I love in this, too, is there's just so many great uh-oh moments when we're reading along, and I guess I was just referring to this, when somebody says something, you just go, uh-oh, this is bad, this is bad. And that really makes the book, you know, even in the dire parts, it makes it kind of fun. Yeah, uh, you know, well, you know, thank you. I have nothing to say to that. That's, that's just, uh, that's really, it's funny. No, I mean, and that links back to, uh, I guess, knowing things that, um, uh, that boy doesn't know because of his naivete. Now, uh, it's interesting, too, when you uh, talk about uh, when he's in no man's land, uh, it, that's, that's some very uh, really powerful writing, mm-hmm. and you modulate that really well. Uh, talk about uh, doing the research for this and, and incorporating these real bits. I guess, uh, so I guess Raid, is that his name? That is, uh, Riyadh. Riyadh. Riyadh, right. Yeah, that's, is that a real... Um, you know, I kind of, I loosely based um, uh, many of the characters uh, that, that Boy meets in Guantanamo on, mm-hmm. on real, um, you know, real cases of detainees, real people who were, who were sent there. Yeah, I think with Riyadh, I was, I was kind of thinking of uh, um, Moazam Beg, who's, who's a prisoner, um, and who, he wrote, who wrote a memoir called um, Enemy Combatant, uh, and um, uh, this, this stuff really happened to him. <laughs> You know, and I, I very much wanted their stories to be part of the fiction. You know, and and then the research was, was just that was reading, uh, you know, books about um, these guys, detainees, books by Marines, books by translators, and and Guantanamo lawyers. And I always say, you know, these are some of the best books um, about America written in the last ten years. You know, they're so important. They're so um, the, the stories are so so shocking and moving. And um, and I would just you know, I, I, I absorbed for a number of years in order to be able to write, um, you know, boy's situation well. When we're reading the parts that are said in Guantanamo, uh, boy's descriptions are kind of, I think, a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. It's like he, what's interesting is that he's still convinced that because he's innocent, that matters. Mm-hmm. And so he doesn't really, he's not really worried about any of these very chilling things that are going on around him because he's kind of, I think, feels in the back of his mind that he's really exempt. Yeah, yeah, you know, he, he goes there and he still, I mean, he believes in his innocence and, uh, you know, um, he's, a, he's a guy with a big ego. And, uh, you know, when he gets down there, he, <laughs> I, he thinks he's better than everybody else, you know, prisoners and guards included. And so, but he's there and, and the language it is very matter-of-fact because... Um, I guess he, I just felt I, I needed to um, 
paint a picture of this place because when I started the book in 2006, there really wasn't much um, footage on Guantanamo. I mean, we had those horrible pictures of men on their knees, masked, you know, behind chain link fences. But, but you know, there were just a few photos, and really everything that was there was uh, that I could get was just found in, in books. And, um, and so I had, you know, many, many notebooks, marble notebooks of, of, of notes on what the place looked like, and, and I wanted that to be a part of the novel. You know, I didn't want, I didn't want this to be something that, that went away. You know, because um, you have you have books like when I say um, uh, non an enemy combatant by Moaz Ambeg, nobody in this country has ever even heard of it. You know, I, I admit I haven't, but right. it's something that I would want to look for now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, there, another good one is uh, Five Years of My Life by um, Marat Karnaz, which is one that I I I, um, I read uh, a few times while writing this book. Um, I, the other half of this book that's uh, much more. Uh, palatable, I guess, for us in America is, is the, the look at the fashion world. Mm -hmm. and, and you have a lot of fun with that, and you help us have a lot of fun, even if, as I say, you're disinclined to, to even want to read about such, uh, such a world. So um, one of the key things here is you give us some great characters. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's there, well, there's the main characters, there's Boy Hernandez, there's his publicist, Ben Laden, no, no relation. <laughs> right, uh, a problem though in, in the in the in the long term for him. Yeah, yeah, that you know uh, that becomes a problem. Um, they well, the government can't really differentiate, you know, when he's saying Bin Laden or Ben Laden on the phone. So that yeah. that one. And then there's a there's a there's a rival designer named Philip Tang. 2.0. Yeah. Um, who? Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun writing these these characters too, and um, and you know. Uh, I like really liked Olia. I mean. Oh yeah, that's you know everybody liked Olia, and I, when I first started the book, and I, I showed the show, uh, I started showing it to people. Um, she was just a very minor part, but everybody really liked this character of Olia. So I I had to bring her out more, and she has you know a number of scenes. Yeah, there's Olia. There's these these fashion models and. Um, and they're just a great, crazy group of characters, like in a Wes Anderson movie or something, mm -hmm. you know. And and I had a lot of fun uh, writing writing it. And not, and, you know, in, and I I don't think you said this. It's not it's not a book that's just like poking fun at the fashion world, you know. No, it's not. It, you it, you it's it's a book that uh, had genuinely honors it. Yeah, you know, and I wanted it. You know, once I got involved in it, I wanted to do that because I started to have a lot of respect for what these people, mm -hmm. you know, do for a living, and um, and I knew for Boy's story to be taken seriously, um, it had to be treated with some some respect too. So, well, and that's one of the things too that I came out of this with a lot more respect for the fashion world and a lot more interest in it, <laughs> which is something I, that I, you know, words that I thought would never emerge from my mouth without unless I was at a in a place where wearing an orange jumpsuit with a hood over my head. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, you I, I guess the book does make you a little more fashion uh, conscious and yeah, with an interest in, you know, do um it's you know, I still read you know, uh, the New York Times style section with vigor, you know. <laughs> At one point uh boy, I says uh it was like teaching myself a new language and I think that's an interesting look the way that you describe and the way uh, boy experiences fashion as a kind of art form that is something that's really never particularly occurred to me I suppose it should have yeah you know uh, yeah he's uh, he's an artist you know um, um, designers are are artists even though they work in this very you know um, um, this very marketable um, 
art form. They're 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 truly about you know uh, creating art. And when you look at fashion shows, they're uh, um, you know the the easy thing to say is that, you know those clothes are ridiculous. We'd never wear those. But that's because it's 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 almost like it's an art show. Mm-hmm. You know, um, <laughs> yeah. if you saw the I, I saw pictures of uh, the Mark Jacobs show that happened last week. Uh, last week was Fashion Week in New York, and they had these. It was a Dr. Seuss theme where all the models had these big, giant Dr. Seuss hats, you know? Really? Yeah. It was, I mean, it was kind of ridiculous. I mean, we wouldn't wear, we, nobody, we wouldn't wear it. Mark Jacobs wouldn't wear it. And that's not the point. It's, this is a show, you know, and they're putting on a show. And uh, It's very interesting. You know, uh, too, what um, you do a, a really good job of is uh, creating a sense of place no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you create the different neighborhoods of New York. You create the the fashion shows, uh, and I guess you must have lived in many of these places. But to yeah. live in them and to write about them is is very different. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's two different things. I mean, um, I, uh, you know, I, I I don't know. I love writing about cities, and I love writing about a uh, place. I think I, I mean I think I do it well. I, I I I it doesn't come easy to me, but I, I enjoy writing about. Um, New York in particular, and, and the different neighborhoods, and from what I know of it, um, from you know being there all my life, so um, you know I put a lot of a lot of heart into it. <laughs> well, it, one of the things too that interests me is that um, the the entertainment's war on terror, as it were, and this is actually this book novel is part of that uh, in terms yeah, of right. the the um, as perceived and uh, the analog to this novel in this novel is. Uh, the the play written by boys uh, X <laughs> yeah yeah he has a girlfriend in the book who uh, once they break up she's a playwright uh, and she writes a hit play about him on on, on Broadway um, called the enemy at home or how I fell for a terrorist so she exploits his story I'm exploiting his story it's very weird but no there uh, a big part of the novel and a part of um, what I wanted to do was to write about the media's treatment of uh, 9-11 and terrorists and, and the language that goes into it, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, even the phrase war on terror, you know, that's, 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 that's something that, uh, was released by the administration to the media, you know, mm-hmm. to do something. And I wanted to investigate, um, sort of all of the language, um, that was being used and, and, you know, um, these people, I mean, they became, I mean, they're like celebrities. Like I was, now that we're in, um, you know, I'm in San Francisco now, and it, uh, John Walker Lind is from uh, uh, Marin County, and he was the American who fought for the Taliban mm-hmm. that we caught. And remember, that story came out. That was all over the papers. It was like a celebrity all mm-hmm. of a sudden, you know. And so I did want to investigate um, uh, that in the novel. And, and that's one of the things, too, is that we talked about post-9-11. There, there's also... Um, when he at the beginning of the novel, uh, boy is kind of like a post celebrity. When he's in when he's in Guantanamo, you know, he's kind right. of he was a guy who was once a celebrity, had made it on his own as a right. designer. Now he's kind of gliding on that in a in a place where none of that matters. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, it's uh, you know every everybody sort of turns on him, and um, you know he's left with a with a tarnished image. You know, and and for a man like him, it's. Uh, it's very dire. It's all about image, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, too, you, you do a good job when, when you t- we're talking about the war, the language of the war on terror. There's one part where somebody 
uh, uses that kind of language to analyze themselves. You know, and, and I think that's really interesting that we now kind of look, see so many things through the lens of, you know, the enemy within. And we are all, of course, our own worst enemies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the, a lot of the language I had, um, I mean, a lot of it is real in the book. I mean, a lot of, there's a whole Guantanamo lexicon that that I try and, and use because of the... Um, the smirch and the, I mean, because that's the, a, smirch is out of uh, James Bond originally. The, oh yeah, uh, yeah, and then um, and then I call them Smurfs um, because that's the in the, in Guantanamo it's the ERF squad, it's the Emergency Reaction Force, and then mm-hmm. I just I thought I would put an S and an M on the top of it, and then they would be, be Smurfs. This, be Smurfs. <laughs> um, but then there's also things like um, you know if a guard strikes a prisoner, that's a uh, a non-injurious act. You know, um, and and all this language to to dehumanize, uh, you know, the prisoners that are there is is you know I want I I just bathed in it for years. The character of Ahmed Qureshi is really an interesting character. You have a lot of fun with this guy. Uh, yeah, and, and that's an interesting tack to take, I think, because yeah. he's, he's got he got Kansas fertilizer in his. House. Yeah, you know, he's he's a he's a he's a weapons. He's an arms dealer, you know, in a, in a lot of ways. Although he deals fertilizer, um, but, but fertilizer that can be used to make dirty bombs. Um, and I do, you know, he's 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 sort of a pathological liar, mm-hmm. um, and um, that was one of the ways to have fun with him. And it, it was uh, I wanted to explore um, sort of a, a you know a human side of somebody like this without without who doesn't live by our um, uh, morals or, or even somebody without uh, morality, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but within that, I was able to get, uh, you know, to mine some some comedy too and to make it like more palatable, like you said, and, and to make it more entertaining. But really for, for some, um, some, you know, powerful seriousness to sort of slip in and make you realize it along the way. Now, this book is very funny and we laugh a lot at it. Uh, and humor is is tough to to pull off in this kind of situation because between you know the seriousness of this kid making it in the city that's one kind of serious and the other hand is you know we're stuck in you know America's Kafka esque prison. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, like I said, there's I mean, there, well, there are very funny things in the novel concerning New York and the fashion industry, and there are serious serious things in the novel, um, but there are. You know, I think when I was writing Guantanamo, um, it is it is such an assur- absurd place. Uh, what we do then there is so absurd; it almost sounds made up, but it's completely real. You know. So all the stuff in that happens in the novel and the Guantanamo bit based up. That's pretty much documented, in as far as you know. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I mean, I based uh, pretty much everything on um, you know uh, real occurrences, you know, and 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 real stories and and. Uh, uh, tribunal transcripts and, and uh, whatever I can get my hands on, really, and um, you know, uh, it's absurd. You know, it's 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 really absurd. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things too. It, it does come off. And I think the absurdity by focusing on that, I think that you you are able to um, get some uh, leaving the dire aspect of it, mm-hmm. so that this 
one thing I think this novel does is it or does not do is it doesn't point fingers. This doesn't seem like a heavy-handed. This isn't really a condemnation of Guantanamo, right, not in the right. way that it could be. Right. No, you know, and I never wanted to write that book. You know, I, I never intended to write that book, which was just sort of pointing fingers at, at things. Um, otherwise, you know, who would read it? You know, um, I want, you know, my other purpose is to, um, I, I love to read, you know, this is what I do. I love, to, I like to be entertained by books sometimes, you know, and um, I wanted to write a book very, very much like, you know, some of my favorites, like, I mentioned Mordecai Rickler and, and, and his novels, uh, and even Nabokov. They're they're very they're very entertaining, um, but um, within those, uh, I, and I think they last because um, uh, you know there's a serious seriousness to them too, um, and and something they're about something that's larger than all of us, you know, and that's the kind of novel that I wanted to write. Uh, could you talk a little bit about the Tottenville review? Oh yeah, um, Tottenville. Tottenville, okay. Which is, which is which nobody knows. It's it's a neighbor. It's it's in the neighborhood by where I grew up on Staten Island, and it's uh, we named it that because it's the most southern uh, point in New York City and New York State, and so you know, and New York City is the center of the publishing world. And what we do is I um, I call it a, a, a book review collaborative, and we 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 mainly focus on. Um, reviewing debut um, debut books mm-hmm. you know the the books that are, would otherwise n- not get the the longer review and and we um you know we interview uh, a novelist and try and give them the long paris review the uh, interview treatment mm-hmm. <laughs> you know new novelists and new writers have a lot to say too and a lot a lot to say about craft and um and it's great we have like 50 contributors around the country now and um uh, there are no ads. It's just a website, tottenville.com, tottenvillereview.com. And, um, and publishers send us the books for free. The people write about them for free. And I'm the one who gets screwed out of it because I pay $8 a month to keep it going. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's worth it. You know, it, it's like uh, uh, it's been an, an amazing experience cause, because it just shows me people are hungry for good books. They're always hungry for them. We're always looking for good books. Uh, what we're looking for, I think, is good stories. And I think, yeah. you know, story is so important yeah. in this novel. There are all sorts of, you know, because of the way the structure, there's stories within stories. Each story is contained by the other story. And that, yeah. you know, captures our, you know, need for uh, narrative identity. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. And we actually had, you know, we have an essay on Tottenville Review called it's by a writer named R. Salvador Reyes. It's called Story Theory, and it's about our need for story, even to make to make sense of our lives. And it's 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 a pretty good essay. Well, but, we're we're a narrative species. Yeah, we are. We are. You know. If um, you ask me who I am, I'm going to tell you a story. I'm telling you every question you ask me. I'm telling you stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is getting weird. <laughs> good. <laughs> now, what are you up to next? Um, I'm writing a, a new novel, a second, my second novel, and it's about a, it's about a war correspondent who kind of loses his mojo, and so he puts himself in imminent danger in order to get it back again into a war zone. But it's very much about, um, it's very about, much about withdrawal uh, from a, a, from a, from a country that we're occupying, and so it it takes place during a, a military withdrawal of American forces, and. Um I, I'm just curious. Did uh, Totten, Tottenville Review re, uh, interview you for for your first novel? You know, because I'm the founding editor, I did, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm the editor, 
you know, I, I didn't do it, but I was, I'm still thinking of things that I could do. Like maybe I could interview Boy Hernandez, my mm -hmm. character, and then I'll just do a piece of fiction. Yeah, we were, some of the, I have other editors and, and we talked about that and we decided not to, not to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I've been speaking with Alex Gilvery. His new novel is From the Memoirs of a Non-Enemy Combatant. Thank you for joining me, Alex. Thanks, Rick. Thanks. That was wonderful.